almost made it. Christmas Day, and we were that close. I'm telling you, the the dinner was excellent. Mashed potatoes and gravy is like a favorite. We sang some songs as a family, rang some bells, opened some presents. So close to making it. We got to dinner. And during dinner, we had uh, leftovers, you know, kind of in the evening. You know, you kind of make sandwiches and you kind of talk. And it's just the small talk over the evening and uh, how the day went. And then somebody said it. We got through this whole day without talking about politics. And then the floodgates were opened. And it started. And I said, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't go down that path. Nothing good will come of this. And nothing good came of it. (laughs) Words were said. Emotions flared. And then we called it quits. Let's not, let's not go down that path. We almost made it. Now, this morning, I am talking politics. Now, the good news is you can't tell me I'm wrong because you're just sitting out there. Um, no, no, that, that's not how it's going to be. Um, I want to address a, uh, a very regular question, I think, that comes up in the mind of the church. It's something that gets discussed a lot, and, and it goes like this. There's a statement that's made sometimes that goes, we can't legislate morality. We can't legislate morality. We can't put our morals into law and expect that to actually change people. Because it's much more complicated to change the human heart. What I want to do this morning is look at that question, should we legislate morality through a biblical lens? And in doing it, what I want to do is I want to interact with an article. I've read a lot of different articles on both sides of the question this week. And I found one that gave a really nice summary of that argument. And I want to relate that specifically to the issue of abortion in the United States. Okay? So, I'm preaching with that issue in mind, even though I know there's other issues that come up where we say, should we legislate our morality in that area, in this area? You know, I I know there's a lot of different areas. But this is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and I'm preaching in particular on the issue of abortion. But I, what I want to do is answer the question, should we legislate morality? Um, so I read an article in Relevant Magazine. Uh, it's it's uh, um, written by a Christian, presumably, because uh, that's a, it's a Christian publication. And what she does, her name is Jasmine Patterson, if we can pull that up. And she writes an article, you can look it up online if you'd like, called The Biblical Case Against Legislating Morality. And... I read it, and I found that there was a lot of good stuff in there, a lot of stuff that I agreed with. However, I don't think it went far enough to consider the nuances of that question. I think it's a complicated question. And so I'm not trying to give... In other words, when I'm interacting with Jasmine Patterson on this article, I'm not trying to give pat answers, simplistic answers. You know, here's your one-liner that's going to get them. But but what I really want to do is... I do want to give an answer to her four points and yet try to make it a little more nuanced in how we talk about it. I don't think it's as simple as saying, no, we shouldn't legislate morality. You know, some people have said, and I think it's true, 
it's not a matter of should we legislate morality because all of our laws are moral in, in, in their own sense, you know? So if we have a law about not stealing, that's a moral law. And so the, really the question becomes, whose morality do we legislate? But I'm getting ahead of myself. So what I want to do is I'm going to take you through the four points and give an answer to each one. And hopefully it'll be thoughtful, biblical. You can think this through on your own as we go. Maybe you're in agreement on each of them. Maybe you're in a different place on some of them. But these are conversations we get into when we talk about this issue. Okay? So let's jump in. Number one, biblical case against legalizing. And what I'm doing is I'm just quoting her four points. Like this is word for word uh, what Jasmine Patterson says. And uh, so the first one is this. Legislating morality doesn't actually change people. Now, on that, I would totally 100% agree. We can't change the heart. You know, what we're really doing is, if the law says you can't steal, you know, we talked about this in Fun Club last week, by the way. We were going through the Ten Commandments. And, and I told the story about a kid in school who turned in a paper that he stole from somebody else and said it was his own work. And that got him into this prestigious school. I didn't use the word prestigious in fun club, okay? But it got him into this prestigious school, but he totally stole that paper off someone else's computer. And uh, he got caught for it, and he got kicked out of the school because of it. So um, we know we shouldn't steal people's work. And, and yet there's, you know, uh, that doesn't change the heart, though. What would you do if you could do anything, Right. So saying there's a law against it doesn't necessarily change your heart. I, I agree 100% in that case that what Jesus does is he transforms the heart. Here's my answer, though. And I'm going to abbreviate legislative morality because it gets kind of long to say. Uh, legislative morality is incapable of changing the heart, but it can do other useful things like restraining evil behavior and promoting good behavior. Right? It can hold people back from doing what's in their hearts to do, which is sinful. And I think that is a really good reason we should legislate morality. I do want to restrain people. Look, the law has coercive power. Oh, I just spit. Good thing no one was sitting right there. That would have been bad. You would have got more than you bargained for. Um, But uh, I, I, I get it. The law discriminates. It says if you do this, we can lock you up. We can take away your freedoms if you break this law. Like that's, that's tough. But that restrains evil behavior and promotes good behavior. We can pull up the Romans passage where we see this. Uh, for rulers are not a terror uh, to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Like you, you don't want to be scared of the people in authority? Then do what's good and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God. An avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Um, In Romans 13, what Paul is getting at is the government has coercive power. They bear the sword. They can lock you up. In extreme cases, they could even take your life. And that is to restrain people from doing evil things. And I'd say that is an excellent reason for legislating morality. I know it said that if we outlawed abortion, people would just find other ways to carry out that act. And maybe it would be unsafe, and maybe it would be threatening to the wife of the uh, the mother of the person, right? Um, 
at the same time, should we not use the government's coercive power to get that done, to say this is not just? I think about, um, we can put the Martin Luther King quote up. I think it's very important in this context as well. He says, it may be true that the law cannot make a man love me, but it can keep him from lynching me, and I think that's pretty important. Amen, right? You know? Uh, good point. No one should be lynched. No unborn should be terminated. It should not happen. Number two. Legislating morality is not how Jesus works. Now, by this point, what Patterson's getting at is uh, Jesus works on the heart. Jesus transforms from the inside out. It's, it's out of the heart the mouth speaks, right? All, all sorts of corrupt, unclean things come out, but it's coming out from inside. Jesus says, clean the inside of the cup, right? And then the outside will be good as well. Jesus is always going for the internal thing. And, and also we would say, Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, right? Jesus said to Pilate, if my kingdom was of this world, my followers would be fighting for my freedom. And, and you only have power over me because God gives it to you. So I would be in agreement again. Jesus doesn't work from the outside in, but from the inside out. I totally agree in that point. But, although it's a glorious truth that Jesus transforms from the inside out, he also promoted justice in his society. This is what other biblical and modern day saints have done and is what we should do too. Jesus wasn't silent. Jesus' message is not devoid of political implications. His message has political implications is what we're saying. Consider this. You know the story of the widow that goes in and, uh, well, I'll read it for you. Mark 12, 41. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow who's put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, uh, for they all contribute out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Jesus praises this widow because she brings in these two coins and even though other people can give big sums of money, she's given everything. And so she's praised, rightly praised. Do you know, however, there's more to the story than that story? If you've ever backed up a few verses, I think this account is in two or three different Gospels. And those Gospel writers always include what comes directly before this story. And I think we miss it sometimes. The widow is to be praised. But there's a second point Jesus is making here. It gets lost. Mark 12:38, a couple of verses previous. In his teaching, Jesus said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and greeting and like greetings in the marketplaces, and have the best seats in the synagogues, and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses. And for a pretense, make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. What we miss is, there are scribes. These are people that have power in the day. They're religious leaders. But you got to remember, in Jesus' day, religious leaders and political leaders, I mean, that was all kind of mixed up together. There wasn't separation of church and state like we think of. 
These are powerful people in the society and they devour widows' houses. They take advantage of the vulnerable so that they can live in luxury. And Jesus calls out that injustice. That's not right. So we praise the widow and we condemn the system that is oppressing her. See what he's doing? Isn't it similar to John the Baptist saying to King Herod, no, you can't. It's not lawful for you to take your brother's wife. He's calling out a political ruler for doing what is unlawful. Isn't it Joseph in Egypt who, who enacts, you know, uh, uh, laws and actions that save seven years of, of good years of harvesting so that when seven years of famine come, the Egyptians are ready? Isn't that a, a picture of God's people in places of power working for the good of people to save life? We have examples of biblical people and we have examples of modern day heroes. Christians that have worked against slavery. You know, There's all sorts of examples out there, but my point being, if you take Christians out of political offices, where does the country go? Look at the strides we've already made. We celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Not a perfect man, but certainly a man who did great things for this country in the name of liberty. Right? What if you take his voice away? What? We have to give voice to the vulnerable. We have to be the ones that speak up. This is our task as well. And so I would disagree that Jesus only works from the inside out. He also calls out people who are corrupt on the inside to look at their ways, examine their ways. So can we. Thirdly, legislating morality pushes people away from Christ. Now, this one I will say is, it's a very general point, And there's a lot of different ways I could answer it. Um, thought about this a long time. Because the article states that when the church speaks up and says, we want biblical morality coming from our government. We are discluding everybody else that has a different kind of morality. Who are we that have faith to say that we're the right ones and everybody else is wrong? Shouldn't we allow people to make their choices? And when we don't allow them to make their choices, aren't we pushing them away from Christ, who again wants to work from the inside out? Look, I, I kind of take advantage of this argument in, in my own way. I don't tell people how to vote, right? I don't say what party to vote for. I don't say what to do. I don't say this is my candidate. You better vote for him or her. I just don't do that because I believe the cause of Christ is more important. And I believe when Jesus transforms people, he does transform from the inside out. And people's politics start to get worked out when they come under the lordship of Christ. So I take advantage of this very argument. However, when it comes to abortion, I believe it falls very, very short. And this is why uh, last Wednesday, uh, the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, was kind of doing a, he's doing a tour, kind of a town hall tour. I don't know if you heard about this, but he spoke about, uh, Canada has like a, a summer work program for young people 
and the government gives money to different employers and, and I don't know how it all works. I'm not Canadian, eh? But um but any we're real we live really close to Canada. Maybe we should know this, right? Um but in any case, uh he's doing his tour and he's talking about the summer work program and he's saying anybody that takes advantage, any employer that takes advantage of that summer work program has to sign on to Canada's uh basically like their bill of rights, human rights. And one of those rights is reproductive freedom, which means, another way of saying, abortion. You have to agree that you will not work against the government on that. You are signing on, saying, I am either in agreement or at least I will not, not even have to be in agreement. He actually made this very interesting. I don't know if I have the quote here. I was looking for it this morning, trying to find it again. Maybe I have it. Oh, here it is. I got the quote. Um. While all individuals in a free society can hold any views they like on the matter of abortion, actively working to strip other Canadians of their rights is not okay. i read that one more time. While all individuals in a free society can hold any views they like on the matter of abortion, actively working to strip other Canadians of their rights is not okay. You hear what he's saying. He's saying, in your church and in your home, you can believe and teach whatever you would like on abortion. You are totally free to do that. But you may not work against the government to take that right away from other people. You have no right to do that. What we're hearing in our culture and those around us is, your biblical belief is a matter of private faith. Do not let it enter into the public sphere. It has no place there. Now, part of me wants to say, well, fine then, I'll just pull out science and we can talk about when a baby's heart starts beating in the womb, right? Because that's just science. That's factual. Or, or you know, we can talk about the ability for um, the unborn to feel pain. We could talk about that. That has shaped laws in this country. Some of those scientific facts. And although I would appeal to science, I would also appeal to this. Isn't a secular worldview and a biblical worldview, although those are not compatible, is somehow a secular worldview better than a biblical one? Is a secular worldview legitimate as a way to argue your point, as opposed to a biblical worldview arguing that point? If we say we're going to back out of the public debate on this, and let our secular worldview just take over? Is that going to be a good thing for this country? I would say it's a way to actually love your neighbor to promote life in this land. That would be a way to love your neighbor, even if your neighbor disagrees with you. I think it's absolutely absolutely legitimate and right for us to say, this is our worldview. Yes, it comes out of the Bible. We, we believe in a creator. We can have science backing us up too. But there's no reason to keep those views out of the public, out of the government. We should work to change this. Now, having said all that, you notice I didn't put my answer up there on the on the screen yet. And here's why I want to give a very, hopefully, nuanced answer to this. Because some people will say, who are you to enforce your morality on me? We think differently. Shouldn't I have the right to do what I want with my own body? Right? Here's my answer then. It requires wisdom to know when to fight 
that would be fight in a legislative way or fight in the public square, or when to weep over our nation's moral decline. When do you fight? When do you weep? That's going to take some wisdom on, on the part of the church. Because some churches might say, we're going to mobilize and we're going to fight over everything. The problem I have with that is, are we going to lose the mission of the church by getting so political? Is that what we're called to be, the political entity? I am I am uh, not for the church running the government or the government running the church. I am not for that. Well, how far do we go? And I know a lot of you are listening to this sermon and you're probably thinking, when is he going to bring up same-sex marriage, gay marriage? You know, Because that's the other one that comes up in this, this discussion. And in some ways, if you want to know what I think personally, in some sense, I think the genie's out of the bottle, you know? The laws of this land have changed. Should the church work to stop that? That would take some real wisdom to know if that's what we're called to do, to change marriage legislation back to what it should be. Consider these two verses. Proverbs 14:34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach any people, when the government institutionalizes sin, we're in trouble as a nation. Like, we're in big trouble. When the Supreme Court ruling came down legalizing gay marriage, we're in trouble. I mean, let's just say that. But it requires a lot of wisdom to know, do we mobilize then and try to fight against that? I'm not so confident of that. When it comes to abortion, I'm much more confident. I'm confident in like we're defending the cause of a defenseless person that has not yet been born. We have to do that. We have to fight for justice in that case. Secondly, um, next verse, Psalm 119, 136. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. I think there's a place in the church just for us say, when laws don't go in the way of morality and righteousness for the church to say, let's weep. Let's mourn the decline of morality in our country. And it doesn't mean we're mobilizing political action. Let's take, you know, let's get going out there. Let's march in the parade. It doesn't mean that. It just means we weep over it. This is where the country's going. If people don't keep God's law. And so I, I hope then that, that I'm offering a little more of a nuanced view, you know? Some laws are not going to go the way of morality. And it doesn't always mean we take up and, and go and, and do something. But in other cases of justice, of the unborn, I think it does mean we do something. What can we do, right? Finally, uh, fourth point. Oh, we go back to my quote from Ravi Zacharias? Maybe that would be helpful. Almost missed it. Um, Ravi Zacharias in his book, Deliver Us from Evil, has a riveting chapter on, um, he uses an example of a Christian couple getting an abortion. And it is, I'm not going to tell the story. It's a difficult story to tell, so I'm not going to tell it. But at the end of the chapter, he has this, this quote. What is more, if the mind is anesthetized, I can't even say that. In order to abort what comes to birth, when the wrong ideas are conceived in the womb of culture, 
the very life-giving force of the nation that nurtures that idea will die as well. There's a lot right there. I know, it's Ravi Zacharias. I get it, right? You know, like, he's he's like, my intelligence is here, and his is like, you know, up here, right? Um, I get it. But, but, but basically he's saying, if we numb our minds when evil ideas come to be born in our culture, if we numb our minds, then the life-giving force of this nation that nurtures that idea, that evil idea, dies as well. In other words, when we enshrine laws that take life, that's killing our country as well. That's what he's getting at. And I think it's an amazing quote. Number four. Legislating morality is about preserving our own comfort, not seeing people come to Christ. Once again, I'd say to Patterson, I think he hit the nail on the head. Often, we want laws just to make us more comfortable as Christians. And is that what we're called to? To produce comfort through legislation? That, that, that's not the goal. That's not the point. Our, our mission is to see people come to Christ. Right? That's what we're here for. Uh, are, are, we, are we mainly here to change laws? Are we mainly here to spread the gospel. And hopefully you would all understand the second one is the right one. We're here to see people come to Christ. That's the mission of the church. That's what's on the back of our bulletin. Not to change politics. Not to change laws. My answer though, I hope again, is a little offers a little depth into seeing maybe another side to this when it comes to issues like abortion uh, and other others that are unjust laws. Um, we can bring up the answer. Legislating morality is not evangelism. It's just not. We're not, by enforcing morality, we're not, we're not seeing people come to Christ. We're just seeing them to conform to a standard that we, we put out there. So we've got to be very clear about that. But when we legislate morality, it does help promote a peaceful society which impacts the sharing of the gospel. Now, don't get me wrong on that. And we'll put the verse first. And then I'll, I'll talk about both sides of this. Uh, Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.1, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You ever read that and thought about what that means? I'm praying for people in power. Who, by the way, God wants to save those people. He has a desire for, for rulers to come to a knowledge of the truth. But regardless of whether they do come to Christ or not, we want a we want to be able to lead peaceful, godly lives in this society which furthers the gospel. Now hear me hear me carefully here. Paul's in prison, right? In in, in the book of Philippians, and the gospel goes out to the whole prison, right? The gospel's never changed. You go to a communist country, you go to a country that is outlawing Christianity, the gospel's not bound. People can be chained, the gospel can't be chained. But it's not, uh, let me say it like this, it's still good to pray for freedom. 
Because how awesome is it that we can share the gospel without fear in this country? We would say that's a good thing. The gospel would go out regardless if we were under a, you know, a communist regime that is squelching the gospel, right? It would still go out. We just couldn't meet like this. But how good is it that we can meet like this? And you can go into your workplace and share freely and no one's going to turn you in. How awesome is that? And I think that's, that's, that's the first Timothy passage. Pray for people in power that we can live quiet, godly lives of peace, furthering the gospel. And when we legislate morality, we can further the peace in this country, knowing that comfort is not our end goal. Spreading the gospel is part of the mission of the church. So I end with this. Um, hopefully I've given you some things to think about this morning. Um, the verse that always comes up in my mind as I think about this topic are, um, it's Micah 6.8. Uh, it, it comes up in my mind so much when I think about issues that our, our country is struggling with. And, it, and it's, He has shown you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. We promote justice. And that includes justice for the unborn. And for these other moral issues, the Lord's going to have to give the church wisdom. I'm speaking on one today. There's others. I get it. We're going to have to ask God for wisdom. But for this one, we speak for the defenseless. We speak for the ones with no voice. And we pray for a day when this country changes direction fully on that issue. Um, worship team, if I can call you up. I love a closing song. I have no pick. You want to pick? And uh, we'll close and uh, we'll sing together after that. Father, we love you. We honor and exalt you, for we are formed by your hand. We say with humility that we don't have all the answers for the issues our nation faces. We see that like, like the um, illustration of uh, Canada and the Prime Minister there, that we are increasingly in a place that's telling us to keep our morality in the privacy of our homes and churches. And yet we know righteousness exalts the nation. We don't want a nation that is under your curse. We don't want a nation that's under reproach. So help us work. Help us fight in a moral way, in a righteous way, for the lives of the unborn. Would you give us wisdom as we speak to people who hold different views than ourselves? Would you give us wisdom when we vote? And maybe most important of all, would you push us into prayer for people in authority to make decisions that would be righteous? And so we pray for our president for the House of Representatives, for the Senate, for the governors. We pray for people in positions of power, for our courts, 
the Supreme Court that makes so many important decisions that impact so much? Would you fill them with your wisdom? Would you convict their hearts according to righteousness? Would they make decisions and act in ways that would please you and honor you as the Creator and the King, the King of this planet and all the nations therein? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close and sing the song that we sang before the sermon, The Wonder of It All, God's Love for Us. There's a wonder of sunset at evening, a wonder of sunrise I see.